21CL Radio. Welcome to the Education Vanguard, where the 21st Century Learning International Radio team interviews educational leaders of today. Hey everybody, Michael here, and thanks so much for joining us today. We got a good one today. We have Dr. Katie Davis. She's an assistant professor at the University of Washington Information School, where she studies the role of digital media technologies in adolescents' academic, social, and moral lives. She also serves as an advisory board uh, for MTV's digital abuse campaign called A Thin Line. Hey, you remember those days when MTV used to just play music? Anyways, I'm showing my age. Look, when I found out that Dr. Katie Davis worked with uh, Howard Gardner to co-author a book, my curiosity was eh, perked up quite a bit. I mean, how many people do I get to meet that actually know Howard? I mean, I've never met him. Her work focuses on the use of social media among the youth, something many adults uh, struggle with, and a lot of us, especially some of the teachers and administrators, frankly, uh, fear. Frequently, I hear, read, or see schools that ban or severely limit the use of social media on campus. The concern being we should shield our students from all those distractions and all those evil predators intent on doing harm. Uh, She informs us that many teenagers use these social groups to connect on a variety of topics outside their regular social group and social circles. And that is really, truly the power of it. Let's say they're into fan fiction, for example. They now have a zillion more creative tools to express themselves and are able to reach out to a wider audience and connect with like-minded individuals in a way they never could before. Your book with Howard Gardner uh, just recently came out called The App Generation. Can you give us a quick rundown what it's all about? Um, give us incentive to read it. Sure. So um, The App Generation really is a synthesis of research that Howard and I and colleagues at Harvard Graduate School of Education have been doing since 2007. Um, and really in the book what we look to do is draw on that research to explore this big question of how are kids today different, if at all, from kids growing up in a pre-digital era. And to focus that big question, we look in three areas of um, young people's lives that are particularly important to them. So their sense of identity, their intimate relationships with other people, and also the way they express their their creativity. So we call those the three I's of identity, intimacy, and imagination. And imagination is our I word for creativity. So um, in the book, we explore the three I's, and we look at the role that uh, digital media has played in um, those three areas of youth development. Okay. That's awesome. And uh, you just did a talk on it. And um, I was honestly surprised by, in your talk, how positive a lot of the findings were. Mm. Our tendency, I think, is to talk (laughs) very negatively about the digital generation. They're all disconnected. Um, So can you talk about some of the kind of positives, the good things that you've learned about this app generation? So I think in our, as Howard and I were writing this book, He tends to be a little bit more pessimistic and I tend to be a little bit more optimistic. So I think when I'm giving the talk, I definitely emphasize the positive aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, one of the most positive um, findings from our research is around um, the the intimacy and connection. And, um, you know, there is a lot of talk about how kids are, you know, they've lost their interpersonal skills and ability to communicate face-to-face, but, uh, and, you know, there, there is, I can see where that concern comes from, but um, in, in our research, we found a lot of evidence of how young people really use social media to connect with other people and to develop their existing relationships and also to meet 
new people. And one thing that I find particularly um, exciting is how kids who, you know, in a pre-social media world might have really struggled to find people who were like-minded and who shared their interests, they can actually now very easily find people who share their interests. And so one of the projects I'm working on right now is looking at um, teens who are fan fiction writers. And, you know, they talk a lot about how, well, in my school, I just, people think I'm weird for writing mm -hmm. fan fiction, but I find these communities online and I get so much support. So I think that's a really positive development. And actually, that piece ties into the creativity piece and just how kids have so many different tools now to express themselves creatively. They also have a lot of um, different audiences that they can share their um, creations with, which is also a new development. I feel that as a student, as a teen, the issue of self-esteem of teenagers have become an even more pertinent issue to the society. Well, while I'm not too sure whether it is something that is specific to our generation or whether that's something that's been all the time except we've been more active on the virtual community, I'm not too sure. But do you think technology is doing us teens a favor or do you think there's a negative impact on the um, development of self-esteem? What's well, your opinion? That's a, good, that's a good question and that's something I do worry about a little bit um, because a lot of the teens I talk to and particularly girls that I talk to, um, they talk about how they have this uneasy feeling when they look at the posts on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter of their friends and they see very glamorous pictures and they see their friends having fun and then they they compare that to how they're feeling inside and they're feeling insecure and and it just kind of reinforces that feeling of insecurity and so I, I do worry about this constant and it kind of ties into this packaged self and really putting out the best version of yourself on these social media platforms, one result of that is that the people who are viewing those perfect selves um, feel like they don't measure up. Uh, and then, you know, also with peer groups, if you find, and this is very important in middle school, you know, who's in the clique and, um, and who's out of the clique. And so if you, if you pose, if you post a picture of a group of friends who are out having a good time and then the one friend who wasn't invited sees, all of a sudden that becomes really public and, and really it hurts a lot. You know, when I was in middle school, that happened as well, you know, feeling left out of something, but it wasn't so publicly displayed. So that aspect I do worry about. So when you talk, you talked about app-dependent versus app-enabled and how we need to tilt the balance. So that was new to me, and why would you want to tilt, first could you tell us what that is, and why would you want to tilt the balance one way or the other? Yeah, so we make this distinction um, between <coughs> using technology in a more app-enabled way versus using technology in a more app-dependent way. And so the app-enabled version is really using apps and technology as entry points and jumping off points into new experiences, new ways of expressing yourself, social relationships, and that sort of thing. Um, but not using the technology as a starting point, midpoint, and endpoint altogether. 
when, when you start relying on technology for all of the answers to all your questions, if you look to technology first and, and really depend on it for all of your actions, um, that's starting to get into the app-dependent territory. And it's sort of downloading you, or offloading your human agency to technology rather than relying on your own instincts and your own judgment to navigate your world. So that's the distinction that we're making. And so we're really concerned about what can we do as teachers and parents to tilt the balance toward app enablement. So helping kids to use technology in a way where they, they're, they're still in control. The technology is not in control. And so they understand how it works and they understand how to modify technology, modify apps into different media, and actually be able to um, explore the world um, with technology, certainly, but not relying on it completely. Um, so I think that, you know, in the end of the book, we make some suggestions of what can teachers and parents do to really promote that app enablement. And it actually doesn't just refer or apply just to technology. You can live your life in an app-enabled way just by you know, exploring your world, engaging in activities that are non-constrained, very open-ended. So teachers, whether or not they're using technology, can emphasize lessons and experiences for kids that are open-ended. So it's, it's very much aligned with a constructivist um, model of education. No, but the developers of these apps want people to be app dependent. So is it just simply an uphill battle that the more emphasis or effort you put into making people app enabled, the developers will simply find ways to trigger your brain to become more addicted to it and thus app dependent? Is it hopeless or is there hope? Well, I actually wouldn't say that app developers necessarily want you to become app dependent. They want you to use their apps, but I don't actually think a lot of them think about this distinction or give a lot of thought to how people um, relate to their apps. They just want them to use them. So actually, I think that a lot of developers, and actually at the University of Washington, where I'm a professor, in the information school, we are training the next generation of developers and app developers, technology developers. And one thing that we really do emphasize is think about how your designs and creations are going to be used and think about that in a moral and ethical way and um, design for that. So I think there is definitely um, room for that and I think a lot of designers are actually receptive to that message. So you also um, talked about the fact that your tendency towards being app de enablement, app dependence, is maybe not a generational thing. That it's more your approach to it, and so that someone who didn't grow up, you know, isn't a teen now, isn't young now, maybe didn't grow up with apps, could still be very app dependent. Oh, absolutely, yes. And actually, it's funny. Um, a lot of the teens that we talk to, they they complain about their parents and the adults in their lives and how addicted that those adults seem to be to their devices and it it might be just because it is, it is kind of new relatively speaking for adults whereas the kids they're used to it and so um, so yeah I think that it it can 
across generations this tendency towards enablement or dependence. Um, and certainly in our research, we see both in all different ages. And I think for kids, a lot of the kids that I speak to, especially in recent year, a couple years, they really do express a lot of ambivalence toward technology and the role that technology plays in their lives. And they're very aware and mindful of becoming um, app dependent. They don't use that terminology, but they definitely talk about technology in, in a way that suggests that they don't want to become, they don't want to give up their agency to technology and they want to stay in control. In your presentation, you discussed creativity as um, hybridization of creativity due to introduction of technology and how it's integrated into every bits of our teenage lives. Um, and you talked about big C and middle C. So my, my thinking process when you mentioned those were that can't several middle C's move society forward as well because you said we don't have those big C's that make BAM groundbreaking changes anymore. And what I felt was that perhaps the introduction of several little middle C's itself was a big C to the society. So could you speak a bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's certainly possible that the if you have enough middle C's, it'll create a change. And you know, I think it's too early to know. And actually, it's too early to know what will happen with big C creativity. This is just something that we're thinking about and, and wondering um, about the constraints that are introduced with digital media and how that will affect big C creativity. We don't really know yet. And hopefully, it won't be affected in a negative way. Hopefully, it'll be affected in a positive way. Um, but I do think that's an interesting idea that maybe a lot of middle, middle C's will add up to a big C. Um, but I think that the, just the existence of middle C is kind of cool and, and just how there's more opportunity for more kids to engage in uh, the creative process and to share their creations with other people. These apps, this technology has enabled people like me, a parent, if I wanted to, to monitor my children all the time and so my children have less opportunities to make mistakes and not get caught for it. Do you think we can simply get too much information as parents about our children and that we should take a break, maybe become app enabled? Or do you think we're getting the appropriate amount of information and that more is better? Well, I think that there are a lot of parents who are getting just a little too much information and I think there, you know, there's a, some growing pains here. There, there, it's possible to monitor your kids 24-7, it's possible to check their grades every day, it's possible to have all this information. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And I think that this is a, nego a negotiation that we're going to have to relive for the next couple of years for as parents and kids work out what's the appropriate level of monitoring. Because you do want to keep your kids safe, obviously, and you want to stay involved in their lives, but you also want to make sure that they have room to make mistakes and that they have the ability to have their own autonomy and develop their own sense of self. So um, you also spoke about parents and the parent and child dynamic of being connected all the time, that you can talk all the time. Um, 
but that these interactions are maybe quicker, short snapshots instead of the long conversation on the phone once a week. Do you think that that has, you know, what do you speak about that trend a little bit? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Yeah, well, I think there's a little bit of both. So um, we draw in, when we talk about this in the intimacy chapter, we draw a lot on the work of Sherry Turkle, who is a scholar at MIT. And she talks about this connection between parents and kids as a tether. So they're always connected, they're always in touch. And in some respects it's good because they, they can, you know, maintain that sense of closeness. But it doesn't, a tether doesn't allow a, a child to really explore um, who they are and their world apart from their parents. And so, especially in adolescence and emerging adulthood, it is important to provide that space. But if you're always just kind of checking in and asking, a lot of these, you know, 13 check-ins a week are asking for advice for, you know, what should I do now? Like, which, which way should I go during my day t type of thing? And, and that really does take out the autonomy and the independent decision-making. So you, you've talked about kind of student perspective a little bit, uh, parent perspective. Um, as a teacher, one of the th pieces of your research that I found fascinating was your comparison between what's happened with creativity in writing versus what's happened with creativity in art. And you said that you know, it, it in right in art we tended towards more imagination and abstract, whereas in writing, we actually were kind of moving away from that. And that made me think, you know, as an elementary teacher, I spent a lot of time teaching writing. And if that's something that we're moving away from, do you think there's something we've done that's kind of been lost in the past that we used to do uh, that we should be going back to? Well, I think a lot of this comes down to the changes in schools and just this emphasis on teaching to the test and standardized tests and there's really not a lot of room for kids to make mistakes in, at, in school and in across all of the three eyes and throughout the book the one overarching theme is this um, movement away from risk-taking uh, and and being able to take risks especially when you're a kid is really important for figuring out who you are and for learning and, but schools don't really, a lot of schools don't support that kind of risk taking and making mistakes. And um, so yeah, it's, I think uh, when it comes to writing, there's this real emphasis on make sure that you have those five paragraph essays and um, you've structured it the way we know will pass and the way we know you'll get an A and that doesn't really allow a lot of room for kind of writing outside the line, so to speak. To this app generation you've been talking about. And the, a pitiful situation is that a lot of them, including myself, aren't aware that adults are talking about us and talking about this whole study of app generation and that adults are going, what do we do with these? What are they doing? So imagine if those people from the app generation were listening to this. If you had any piece of saying you'd like to deliver, what would it be? Hmm. Yeah, well, I actually, you know, I, I do in my work 
do a lot of talking to teens and really listening and they often will bring up a lot of the issues that I've spoke about today themselves without any prompting from me. Um, but I think that just um, giving teens space to and time to reflect on how they use technology, um, I, you know, that's one thing that I would really encourage them to become very reflectful, um, reflective about how they use technology, and um, and just consider, you know, what sorts of habits they're getting into, and do they like those habits? Because habits are really hard to break. Um, so. I think just the being very mindful about the technology use is really important. So this is our last question for you, um, and kind of piggybacks on uh, what I, the previous question about you know students listening to this. So. Um, You've said it's really important to make, be, make those mindful decisions, and I think all of us feel that parents and teachers, those are the people who are supposed to be kind of guiding that decision-making. How would you suggest to parents and teachers to go about doing that? Well, first of all, you need time and space in the day to be able to have these conversations, and I know that that's something that's really hard for teachers. So in the workshop I did um, on yesterday, I guess, um, on digital citizenship, um, you know, I introduced the participants to a whole curriculum that our group at Harvard um, collaborated with Common Sense Media on. And, you know, it's a great curriculum to really encourage kids to reflect on, you know, how to engage in online spaces in a responsible, ethical way. So that's all very well and good, but where in the curriculum can you fit that? those lessons and really it just comes down to where are the priorities in the school and hopefully um, the heads of school can create some time even just once a week or something like that just to maybe in the advisory part of the day um, to just have those conversations and reflect. I think it's really important. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.